So today we're going to be wrapping up our storybook series, and we've been looking at some themes and some ideas in the Old Testament like sacrifice and the law and the temple, and we've been looking at stories like creation and a snake in the garden and the flood and the Passover and every idea that we've looked at and every theme and every story that we've examined, we've tried to say, well, look, what can we learn about it? And then from there, we've said, well, what can we learn from it? Like, how does this affect us? And what does this have to do with our life? How does this inform the decisions we make? And how does this change us? And then really my favorite part of all this has been that we've seen that every, every concept and every story and every letter and every theme in the Bible is all part of one big story. And that that big story leads us to Jesus. So today we're gonna talk about the story of the Babylonian exile. But that's not, exile is not a word we use a lot. So to kind of identify what we're talking about with exile, let's first talk about home. I don't think you can really understand exile until you understand home. So I hope that your home is like my home. It's where I feel safe and it's where I feel at ease and it's where I feel comfortable and loved and it's familiar and it's stable and it's safe. It's, it's, it's home, you know? And I don't, I don't just mean, you know, the house that we live in. It's, your home is your family, right? It's your, it's your community. Like I always think we have a good, a good term around here, your hometown, right? Our hometown is, it, and every hometown and every community and every home has its own, like, personality, you know, its own feeling and it it feels right to us like like here in our in our community in Comal in Comal County um, we drive a lot of pickups right we drive a, let me say something we drive a lot of white SUVs i came to church the other morning there were 12 cars in the back parking lot and nine of them were white SUVs this is that's how we do it here you know this is this is our home, it feels right to us, you know? We all speak the same language, you know, Texan, and we, we like football and fishing and sweet tea, and we eat a lot of chips and salsa, you know? And we eat a lot of Mexican food, and we eat a lot of fried food. We eat a lot of gravy. We eat a lot of cheeseburgers. We eat a lot in our home. Um, and you know, like you, we dress casually in our home, you know? Boots and jeans are okay everywhere here, right? For men and for women. We're, we're casual people. You know, I've noticed a lot of women wearing yoga pants in our, in our home. And pastors are wearing shorts and sweats to work at church. And it's, this, is, this is our home. This, this feels comfortable to us. This, you know, in our home, it's okay in a restaurant to talk about Jesus. I love that. It's our home. It feels right. We're, we're patriotic people in our home. You know, we wave at other cars, even if we don't know the people in those cars in our home. We, we pull over for funerals at our home. This is, this, is, this is how we roll here. This is our home. This is our culture. This is our family. It's home. This is, this is where 
I feel like I belong. I love our home. But imagine if you can, being violently taken out of your home, like these Ukrainian refugees that we're seeing on TV, where one day everything's great, and you're in your home, and you know your people, and you're eating at your restaurant, and you're sending your kids to their school, and you're mowing your grass at your house, and you're talking to your neighbors, and everything's the way it's always been one day, and then the next day, you're on a train to Poland, you're walking for miles with your kids to get to a border, and not only did you lose your house, and your job, and your stuff, you lost your home, and everything's different, in the new place and, and, and everything's, everything's uncomfortable and, and nobody knows you here and you just, you just don't fit in here and, and nothing's what you're used to and nothing's what you're comfortable with and they, they speak different languages and they have different beliefs and they even have a different religion and they have different customs and different clothes styles and they don't have chips and salsa and everything that feels right and everything that feels comfortable and safe and everything that feels like home is gone. So by 600 BC, the Jews had been in Jerusalem now for several generations, and they had settled in. And they weren't perfect. The Jews were certainly not perfect. But they were home. You know, they had a great city, and everybody knew each other, and they all shopped at the same H-E-B, and everybody kind of believe the same things and worship the same God in the same way. And Solomon had built this amazing temple so God didn't have to live in a tent anymore. And they were celebrating their holy days and doing their festivals and their meals and their parties. And they liked the same food and they wore the same clothes and they drove the same cars and they had the same values. They knew all the traffic patterns and it was just, it was home to them. And they had their families and their jobs and their houses and their stuff. And after 400 years of slavery and 40 years wandering in the wilderness, they were finally home in the land that God had promised them until in 587 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came and took some of them away. And then a year later he came back and he burned everything down and he tore down the temple gates and he destroyed the temple and he took virtually every single person from Jerusalem and drug them back to Babylon. And now God's people were exiled from the home that God had planned for them. And the weird thing is, it was God's idea. God was allowing them to be exiled to like get their attention and to turn them from their sin and their idolatry and you know they had all started like worshiping the gods of the neighboring countries around them and all that and so he intentionally let Babylon overpower them and overtake them and drag them off to exile in Babylon and God even told them how long they'd be there through the prophet Jeremiah. If you read Jeremiah, most of that book, they call Jeremiah the weeping prophet, and it's mostly him just saying, I can't believe this is happening to us. I can't believe this is happening to us. We're being exiled. Look what he says. Uh, this is Jeremiah 29:10. Jeremiah writes, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things that I have promised, and I will bring you home again. 
For I know the plans I have for you. Maybe you've heard this verse before. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in those days, when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. So God is letting exile happen to them. He's doing this to discipline them or teach them, but he promises them that someday he's gonna bring them back to the promised land. So you can imagine that this is, these are real people living real lives in a real place in a real time in history, right? They're living their lives, they're doing their stuff, and, and now here comes big bad Babylon, and they're burning everything down and dragging people off, kicking and screaming. You can imagine there was a lot of mixed response to that from the Jewish people. So a lot of the Jews fought and resisted, and a lot of them died trying to fight Babylon and, and not to give in. Um, and then some other people, so some of them are saying like, you're not gonna do it, you know, we're gonna put up a fight, we're gonna go to war or whatever. And then other Jews just decided to go along with it, you know, and just roll with it. And just, we're Babylonians now. You know, that's just the way it is now for us. And it reminds me, when I first met, you guys know Jim and Andrea Eddy, right? So when they were kind of new to our community, um, Margaret and I kind of becoming friends with them, we say, hey, let's go do something. We're gonna take them to the rodeo. Okay, so they're from Illinois. And so, <laughs> didn't know exactly what to expect. You know, they haven't been here all that long and I remember getting to their house and it took me about 10 seconds to realize that Jim was a Texan now, right? He is like all in, man. Boots, Wranglers, you know, white button up, black Stetson. Looked like George Strait, really. Uh, he's pretty sure he had a pocket knife in his pocket. You know, it's like, <laughs> Hey, we're Texans now, you know, let's, let's embrace it and let's like assimilate, right? Let's, let's blend and let's, let's fit in. And that's what a lot of the Jews did in Babylon. They just rolled with it and they just assimilated. And in some ways that was okay. Like they learned to speak the language and they learned to eat the food and they sent their kids to those schools and they played Babylonian sports or whatever. And that was fine. The problem is a lot of them also started worshiping Babylonian gods, and that was not fine. So in fairness to them, they were kind of in a rough spot, right? You know, the old expression is, if you can't beat them, join them. Um, but they can't beat them because God is with Babylon, right? God is causing this thing to happen. So you can't beat them, but you don't want to join them and worship their gods. That's what got mad, God mad at you in the first place. And so they didn't have a lot of options of how to act. And so some of them just fought and some of them just like blended and went along like even to a fault where they were worshiping their gods. But Jeremiah offered them like another option and another way to like live this thing out during their time of exile. So this is Jeremiah 29, four. He says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says to all the captives that he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. So here's your instructions. You wanna know how to do it? Here's how you do it. Verse five, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, don't dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I'm sending you. Isn't that interesting? This is the enemy. And God is saying, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I'm sending you into exile and pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine 
your welfare. So God's saying, look, you're there. You're there. And you might as well make a life for yourself. And this isn't home, but this is where you're going to be for the next 70 years. So you might as well enjoy it. You might as well do some good here. And then someday I'll bring you home. But until then, dig in and, and get comfortable and be happy and be positive and, and make a difference while you're there. But what he's not saying is that they should cave in completely. Right? He's the, yeah, sure, that's fine. Eat their food, that's fine. Right? Shop at their HEB, that's fine. Build in their neighborhoods, good, whatever. Send your kids to their schools. It's the only schools you've got, that's okay. But there's a line, right? There, there's, there's a line. You, you can't stop following and honoring and worshiping Yahweh and just start following and honoring and worshiping whatever or whomever they worship. There's a line. There's a line, and you've got to walk that line. So, yeah, get along, survive, be comfortable, have, be happy. But there's a line. Right? You can find joy there, but there's a line. And you can be comfortable there, but there's a line. This, this is not your home, and those gods are not your God. And it's kind of a hard line to walk, really. Um, but we have a great example of what that should look like in the book of Daniel. And so Daniel, the book of Daniel happens during this exile. And while this is all going on, you know the story. A lot of the book of Daniel is about a guy named Daniel and uh, three buddies of his. We all know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And they were, they were taken over to Babylon. That's what happened to them. They were living their lives, young, smart guys, doing great. And they got taken over to Babylon. And they decided to do just what Jeremiah said. They decided they were going to walk the line. They weren't going to completely assimilate and start worshiping those other gods or any of that stuff, but at the same time, they might as well be productive, and they might as well do some good, and they might as well enjoy their lives, and they might as well like be positive in the life that they have there. So they're really smart guys. Um, in fact, Nebuchadnezzar like intentionally selected people out, and he was like, okay, smart, 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 uh, you know, like that. And so he, like, he took the best ones, and he like put them to work, gave them an education, and put them to work in the Babylonian government, right? And so that's what these guys were. They were really smart upcoming, I don't know, dynamic or whatever leaders. And so he put them to work in the government and they could have said, well, we don't want to be here. You know, we want to be, we want to be back home in Jerusalem, but they didn't. They didn't just pine away all day about the glory days in Jerusalem. And they didn't like mark on their wall how many more days until our 70 years is up or something like that. They, they dug in and they made a, they made a positive impact uh, even there. And so they went along, you know, in some ways, but they walked the line because there were some things that they would not do. Like, like they tried to get them to eat the food that God called sinful. And it's like they wouldn't, no, we're not, we're not doing that. We'll go along, but that we're not doing. They're, they're, they're walking this line. So at one point, Babylon passes a law that said, you know, the king had built this giant gold statue. And the law was that every day, uh, music would come on. You know how like they have in small towns, they have like the tornado warnings? Right, and, the, and everybody can hear it for miles around. Anyway, they had that. And so when the music would be really, really loud, then everybody knew, oh, it's time. And so they had to bow down and worship this gold statue that the king had put up. And the deal was that uh, if you didn't do it, then you would get thrown in a fiery furnace. So those of you who think you know, our justice system has gotten soft, 
right? We need <laughs> stricter punishments. Um, here we go, throw them in a fiery furnace. And so that's, that's what the law was. When the, when the music plays, if you don't kneel down and worship this statue, then we're gonna burn you up. We're gonna throw you in this fiery furnace. And so for them, they said, look, we're helping. We're being respectful. We're following the laws, but we're not, that's, we're not doing that. That would be crossing the line, and we're, we're walking this line. So they didn't do it. Uh, the king, pretty smart guy, didn't want to burn up good staff members. And so he, like, tries to kind of bend the rules for them. And so he, like, comes to them and goes, hey, guys, you know, help me out here. Just, just kneel down. Just, I don't, come on. Just, just kneel down, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you one more chance. How about that? I'm going to give you, I'm counting to three. <laughs> Four, come on, help me out here, because he doesn't want to do it. But I love how these guys walk the line. They don't say, I declare a war on Babylon. I hate Nebuchadnezzar. They're still respectful, but they're walking that line. They're walking that line. Look what happens. This is, uh, this is look, what they even, they, look how they even call him your majesty. Right? They even, they're showing respect to him. This is Daniel 3.16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us. And he'll rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we just want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. Respect? Yeah, yeah. Are they gonna worship those gods? No, that's not gonna happen. They're, they're walking the line, and so you know the story. He, 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 what can he do? Right? He's gotta throw them in the fire, so he ties them all up. They throw them in this fiery furnace, and you know, some people, well, maybe it wasn't really all that hot, and that's how they survived, but the guards that threw them in died. Right, and so they're in there, and they're all tied up or whatever, and the king looks inside the fiery furnace and he goes, huh, they're not dying or screaming or anything, and in fact, didn't we throw three guys in there? Because I see a fourth guy in there, and he looks like a god, because he was a god, right? This is, this is Jesus in the fire with them. And so now he's thinking, well, maybe I misspoke. You know, maybe these guys know something. So he brings them out of the fire and he, now they make a new law. And he's, he gives them a promotion so they got a better job than they had before. I'm not sure exactly what the lesson in there. If your boss tells you to do something, don't do it. You'll get a promotion. Uh, and then he passes a law that anybody that badmouths their God will be torn limb from limb and have their house bulldozed. So that was cool. Um, with Nebuchadnezzar, and then after a while, you know, regimes come and go, and after a while, Nebuchadnezzar's out, and a new king, Darius, um, comes in, and Daniel is so awesome. He was great with Nebuchadnezzar, and he's killing it with Darius, and he's fast-tracked, man. He's moving up. He's getting more and more responsibility. He's doing a great job, and then they pass another law, and this law says, because now they think Darius is not just a king. They think he's God, right, and so their law was you could only pray to him you couldn't pray to anybody else, and their law was, if you pray to anybody besides him, then you get thrown in the lion's den. So for those of us that think our legal system has gotten a little soft on our punishments, there's a good one, right? Let's let them spend the night in a room full of lions. And so, I just look how Daniel walks this line. This is, I mean, here it is, it's Daniel 6.10. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, 
he didn't start a fire, right? He didn't put up a fight, organize a protest, or start a war. But he also didn't say, okay, well, I guess I can't pray anymore. He walked the line. Look what it says. The law had been signed. He goes home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. So again, what can they do? Right? That's the law. So they throw him in the lion's den and you, don't, you know the story. So they throw him in there and again, the king is like, man, I wish I didn't have to do this but I, I have no choice. And so they throw him in there. And so like first thing the next morning, he's got to spend the night, right? So God, the angel comes and shuts the lion's mouth. The next day, the king and all of his people show up at the, at the deal and they're thinking it's going to be like bones or something, right? And so they look in there and he's okay. And the king's going, what the heck? You know, how did, what is happening right now? And look what Daniel does. Don't walk in the line, right? Look what he says. First thing he says, long live the king, right? I'm not going to fight. I don't, I don't need to fight with you. I don't need to fight with you. God sent his angels to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. And I've been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. Isn't that good? Your majesty? Long live the king. I mean, he's, he's respectful. He's honoring the king. But even in the face of death, even in the face of being fed to lions, He's not going to pray to anybody but God. You see what he's doing? He's, he's walking the line. And that was the call to Israel. That was, that was the, Jeremiah's instructions from God for Israel. It's going to be 70 years, man. It's going to be hard. It's, but you might as well dig in. You might as well get comfortable. Be good, be good citizens. Make a difference. Even pray for your country. Pray for your people around you. Try to make it as good as you can make it. But this is not your home. This is not your home. You go walk that line. And so after 70 years, just like God promised, um, Israel returns home. But what's really interesting is that if you keep reading, it's like um, exile's just kind of a recurring theme. Remember we've talked about there's these themes that just keep happening over, it's like repeating over and over in all of these stories. And so they just keep having one exile after another. So uh, Babylon and then Persia, and then Greece, this was Alexander the Great, and then finally Rome. And sometimes it wasn't even that they were being taken away, sometimes it was right there when they would be like oppressed and occupied by people that would come into Jerusalem. So now even in the place where they belong, even, the God, even in their own town, they were still exiles because they were under occupation and they were under oppression. And it wasn't, even if it was the place where they were supposed to be, it just wasn't their home anymore. And, and each time, in each exile, it's like, we've got a couple of options here, right? And so some of the Jews fought and resisted, and some of them just caved and started worshiping the gods of whoever was in power at the time. And some of them walked the line. And they said, yeah, we can be happy here. We can, we can get along here. We can plant crops and build houses and get married and have kids and we can be happy and we can be helpful and we can be respectful and we can live honorable lives here. We can follow the laws here, but there are lines that we will not cross. In every exile, some of God's people walk that line. And so Jesus comes onto the scene during the Roman occupation, right? And just kind of the same situation. Um, Caesar and the Roman Empire just like swallowed up Israel and um, they put their own guy in charge of Israel, Herod the Great. 
They, you know what they called him? The king of the Jews. He wasn't a Jew, but he was the one that they put in charge of the Jews. And it was the same thing, man. It was Babylon all over again. Uh, even in Jerusalem, even in their hometown, God's people were exiled. And again, a couple of options. Some of them caved in. Matthew, Matthew caved. Um, Ma- Matthew was a Jew who caved in and assimilated so much that he went to work for the Roman government, cheating Jewish people out of tax money. So yeah, he caved. Um, And then the other end of that, Simon the Zealot um, was a radical anti-Rome political activist. Um, Their their strategy wasn't like holding marches or sit-ins or something like that. Their thing was to go to a place where Roman powerful people were and run up on the stage and cut people's throats. So, yeah, pretty wide variety of how we can handle this thing. Some people assimilate and just cave in, and then some people go crazy the other direction. Um, A lot of people thought Jesus was gonna overthrow the government at that time. I think a lot of his followers thought that's what he was gonna do. He was gonna beat down Herod and overthrow Rome and establish, you know, Jerusalem's national sovereignty. But Jesus is like, no, that's, that's not what this is about. Just... Just do what Jeremiah said. You can live here. When they're mean to you, just turn the other cheek. And even if they treat you like enemies, learn to love your enemies. But you gotta walk the line. And whatever's going on politically, whatever's going on with the government, whatever's going on in your day-to-day lives, even if you're eating their food, even if you're under their government, even if you're paying crazy taxes, we're still God's people and we worship only him. And so there's this constant idea of walking this weird line of exactly where we're supposed to be. And Jesus kind of models it really well. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees, these are like the Jewish like, leaders, they're trying to, they hate Jesus now, and they're trying to trap him with an impossible question. And so they come up to him and they say, well, let me ask you this, Jesus. You know, we're being oppressed here as Jews by these taxes from Rome should Jewish people pay those taxes or should we resist? It's like, which side of the line should we go on? And it's obviously a trick question, right? If he says no, what's gonna happen? Now he's a rebel, right? He's a tax evader, right? Now he's a criminal, he's an outlaw, so Rome will execute him. So if he says, don't pay the taxes, Rome will kill him. But if he says, yeah, go ahead and pay the taxes, then it looks like he's for Rome instead of Israel. And so now the Israelite leaders are gonna kill him. And so it's a trick question, obviously. But Jesus knows what they're up to. Look what he says. This is Matthew 22, 18. Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said, why are you trying to trap me? Give me, give me a coin used for the tax. And they hand him a Roman coin. And he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? And they replied, Caesar's. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. You see what he's telling them? You, you gotta walk the line, right? This, you live here, you're driving on their roads, right? Rome wants taxes, give them taxes. They're, they're in charge right now. But our real allegiance, right? Our real honor, our real worship, our real faith is always only in God. 
And honestly, a lot of them were bugged with Jesus. They really wanted him to step up politically. They wanted him to stop the exile and overthrow Rome and make Jerusalem their real home again. In fact, in John 6, there's a cool story where they really want Jesus to like lead a coup. They're going to make him king today. And Jesus says he had to like sneak off because they're trying to force this thing to happen right now. And he's, that, that, that's not what he came to do. That's not what he came to do. He came to free them from the oppression of Satan and sin and death not Rome. So it's not hard to see the parallels in our own world, right? We're trying to say, what does that mean to us? It's not hard to see these parallels as Jesus followers. Let's face it, man, we're in exile, right? This world is hostile to us and getting more hostile every day. And the world around us, their, their ideas aren't like our ideas. And their morals aren't like our morals. And, and their values aren't like our values. And so we're constantly uncomfortable. Like the people from Ukraine that are now living in Poland, right? It's, um, everybody's, I can live, but it's not, it's not, it's not comfortable. We, we don't belong here. And this isn't the home that we were created for. In fact, Peter and First uh, Peter 2 calls us temporary residents and foreigners. That's what we are here, man. We're, we're exiles. And so for us, it's, it's tempting sometimes, I think, to just cave, you know, just assimilate, just adopt the morals and the values and the gods of this world, like power and money and popularity and pleasure and, and some some Christians do just cave and assimilate and worship what this world worships. And then some Christians go the other way. Um, we gotta burn everything down. We gotta overthrow the government. We gotta kill all the abortion doctors. We gotta act hateful and we gotta you know, overthrow anything that oppresses us. We're never gonna be happy here. We gotta fight. We, we gotta fight no matter what until we end up acting as hateful and violent as the people that are oppressing us. But our calling for now in exile, I think, is the same as Israel's. We gotta, we gotta walk the line. You know, we gotta live in this world without being overly influenced by this world. Look what Peter says. This is 1 Peter 2, 11. And he's, he's, he's writing to Christians all over, right? And I think it's for us. He says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he's appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right. Verse 15, it's God's will that your honorable lives should silence these ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. So, I mean, it's not hard to put those in our terms, right? When people are mocking us and making fun of us and, and, and oppressing us, there's nothing here like it is in Syria. It's nothing here like it is in Korea, but we are under some oppression, right? We are under some attack, but he says it's God's will, that not, not that you're loud mouth, right? It's God's will that your honorable life would silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Don't cave. Don't cave. 
Don't just assimilate, but we've got to walk the line. Verse 16, he says, you're free, but you're God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. He's, see what he's saying? It's not crazy, attacking, burning everything down, and it's also not caving in and saying, okay, I guess that's the way we roll now. I guess that's the way we're gonna live now. I guess this is what we're gonna value. I guess this is what we're gonna worship. It's, it's, it's walking this line. Look how he sums it up. This is verse 17. You know what? He says, respect everyone and love the family of believers. So respect everyone. But we're gonna love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. So we're in exile. We're in exile, but by Jesus' power and by his teaching and by his example, we can live like Jeremiah said. We're, we're gonna be in this world for about 70 years, right? And we might as well plant gardens and build homes and raise our kids and have fun and get involved and make a difference. Pray for the well-being of our world. Pray for the well-being of our city and our state and our nation. Pray for the well-being and do everything we can for the good of, of the world that we live in. Yeah, let's participate, man. We don't gotta hide from the world. We don't need to dig a bunker, right? And us, us 200 people are gonna go hide in this thing and you know, put walls up all around. We don't, we don't live like that. We gotta walk the line. And we can, we, we can respect everybody. We can follow the laws. We can follow most of the customs. We can drive the same cars and like the same foods and eat at the same restaurants and root for the same football teams. We can, we can respect the king. We can respect the government. We can turn the other cheek. And we can love people even when they're mean to us. And we should. We can respect the king. But we fear God. Right? We respect the king. But we fear God. We revere and worship and see only him as holy. We see only him as sacred. We can live in this world, but we shouldn't become completely like this world. And I'll, let me give you some encouragement. You will never be comfortable again. How's that? Amen. <laughs> We're never gonna be comfortable here. I mean, we'll be, it's fun when you get a new house, right? It's fun when you win the big game. It's fun when you get the promotion. There's good stuff here. We can live pleasant lives here, but we're never gonna be completely comfortable here because we don't belong here. We're exiles. Don't you ever wonder why, like, you watch the news and you see all the hate and murder and injustice? I mean, my question is not why does that happen. My question is why are we so upset about it? Why does it bother us so much? Why, are, why haven't we just gotten used to it, right? It's really, in my lifetime, that's all it's ever been on the news. Why, why aren't we just comfortable with the mayhem, you know? Why don't we just get so calloused and so immune to the pain and the suffering and the evil around us that it doesn't bother us anymore? Why does it offend us so much that the world is such a mess? And the reason is, it's, it's because we're exiles. We don't, we don't belong here. We're homesick. We can, we can live in this world. And we can thrive. And we can flourish here. We can find joy here. And we can take it for about 70 years or so. But this world is not our home. There's too much death here. There's 
too much pain here. There's too much failure here. There's too much hate and shame here for us. So the question is, if we don't belong here, where do we belong? And this is how this story points to Jesus in the big story. Because the big story ends with the exile of God's people, with our exile finally being over. When Jesus comes back and finally brings us home, or more accurately, brings our home to us. And then, then, finally, we'll be comfortable, and we'll be safe, and we'll be at ease, and we'll be secure, and we'll be loved, and we'll be with people that love us and accept us, and, and we'll all worship the same God, and we'll, we'll, we'll be home. And, and, and our home will be just what God has always dreamed for us since the first page of the Bible. We'll be God's people in God's place, living under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing in God's presence. And that is heaven. That's our real home. And maybe you're wondering, will there be chips and salsa there? Right? <laughs> Legitimate question. Um, you ever wonder, like the Bible's not super clear on what it's gonna be like. Um, are we gonna shoot lower golf scores there? Um, are we gonna have our favorite pets in heaven? Um, will we know each other in heaven? Will we have jobs in heaven? Will we really live forever but not get old in heaven? Will we eat whatever we want and never get fat in heaven? Here's a, here's a real question. Will I still be me there? Or am I gonna become a chubby, naked angel baby? <laughs> With a harp. Um, that's what we're gonna talk about next week. Heaven. Heaven. And, and that's where we're gonna be someday. But for now, here in exile, we walk the line. Right? Working and praying and playing and raising our families and trying to have a positive impact and trying to reflect Jesus to the world and enjoying life here. But our real hope is in our real home where God's people live in God's rule and enjoy God's blessing and God's presence. And the only one that can get us there is Jesus. It's really all about him. Amen? Let's pray. God, thanks for your word. It's, it's, it's fun for us to dig in and, and see these stories and learn about all the stuff that was going on, but then to also say, well, yeah, but how does that affect us? And it's, it's powerful to me to see that these stories that are thousands of years old are really just our story. And just thank you for this amazing, incredible story. And Lord, I thank you because it always points to Jesus. And the hope that we have is always in him. And it's not in our circumstances and it's not in our culture and it's not in our government. 
And it's not in people acting better or us doing better. It's, it, our hope is in him. And so God, I just pray that you will help us to walk the line, that we will not just like hide away, but instead we'll get out and live this life the best we can and enjoy this life with all it has to offer and flourish here and thrive here and have fun here and plant gardens and raise kids and build houses and, and live life. And that we'll take an active role like, like Daniel and, and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego that went to work trying to make the government the best they could and trying to make this place the best that it could be. God, empower us to, to live this life to the fullest and to enjoy this life to the fullest. But God, help us to remember to walk that line, that our hope is not in what happens here. Our hope is in our real home in heaven. And our hope is in Jesus who gets us there. In his name, amen, amen. Hey, a couple of quick announcements before you go. Um, so Easter's coming, so we make your plans. Here's what's gonna happen. Good Friday, we'll have a service here live in this building at 6.30 on Good Friday. And that's gonna be a time, and I kind of warned people on the worship night the other night, that's gonna be a hard one because we're gonna do something really difficult. We are going to look at the cross and we're gonna see what Jesus did for us. And we're gonna understand the sacrifice that he made. And that's a heavy, hard thing. It's kind of hard to accept and it's kind of hard to understand and it's kind of hard to experience and embrace that. But there is no resurrection without first death. And so we're gonna take a taste of that on Friday night. And then on Easter Sunday, it's gonna be pure celebration of the resurrection, of what Jesus has done for us eternally and what his resurrection means in our lives right now. So that's gonna be at 10 o'clock over at Smithson Valley High School Ranger Stadium. We can sit 4,000 people, 5,000 people there. So feel free to invite your friends and neighbors, okay? Bring as many people as you can. If you can help us that day with anything, then just grab one of the connection cards, write the word Easter on it, check the box that says volunteer, and we will call you and find a place for you to serve that day. Um, also, next Sunday, right after the second service, we're gonna be stuffing eggs with candy. And the ratio we use here is four to one. For every four eggs you stuff, you can eat one piece of candy. So. <laughs> Bam, so we'll serve lunch, it's gonna be great lunch, Holy Smokes is doing the lunch, it's gonna be great lunch, it's gonna be a fun time. So after the second service, come back, have lunch with us, stuff some eggs and eat some Snickers. Last thing, our women's ministry is like exploding. It's going crazy, okay. And I lead the men's ministry. <laughs> Getting lapped. Uh, the women's ministry is, the men's ministry is going great too. Come on guys, say woo. Yeah. Watch this. The women's ministry is killing it. Come on, women, say woo. Yeah. What's wrong with us? Uh, if you want information about the women's ministry or if you want a cool women's ministry t-shirt, go back to the Connection Center. There's somebody back there that can help you with that. That's it. God bless you guys, and we will see you next week.